We are, uh, well, welcome, let me say, first of all, to our Sunday School Hour for Graceway Baptist Church. And uh, we are looking at the life of Abram. His name hasn't been changed yet, and so I'll stumble over that all the time. And uh, you may as well, don't worry about it. Same guy, but Abram is his name at this particular point. We're looking at his life, the good and the bad and the ugly, to quote from a movie title. And uh, our title today, this is going to be presented on January 21st of 2024. And it, the title is, When Conflict Arises, Will You Trust God? We're going to look at Genesis 23, so go ahead and open your Bible there. We'll be looking at the first 18 verses. Now, one of the things we try to do is to have a conflict-free life. Well, that ain't going to happen down here. You're not glorified yet, and neither are the people in your family or the person you're married to or the people in your church or your neighborhood or anything like that. They may be fine people, wonderful people that you enjoy, but they're not glorified yet, neither are you. Somebody's going to mess up, and conflict is going to uh, come. And um, the introduction here tells us that you cannot avoid conflict. I wish we could get that in our minds. People get married and they think we're going to live happily ever after. But not without some friction, not without some conflict. We think that we found the perfect church. Oh, these people are great. They love God. We all love God. Oh, this is great. There's going to be conflict. Well, this little baby that I have, oh, he's so sweet and he loves me and I hold him and he smiles and coos and all of that. That baby's going to grow up. There's going to be conflict. Okay? Got to get that in our minds because we are in constant warfare here. So you can't avoid it. It is a part of life. And in a fallen world filled with simple people, there are going to be problems and there's going to be strife. And it boils down to will we trust God and will we live by faith? Now the devil is always bringing you up uh, opportunities to disobey the Lord. Temptations, we call them. And with the temptation, you have as a part of your armor the shield of faith which will quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. Because in every temptation, you have a, a choice. Will I believe God or will I believe the enemy? Will I go by what I feel or will I go by what God has said in His Word? And actually, there's always, with the temptation... There's always the insinuation that God is not really serious about this. He either doesn't care. Sometimes, you know, the enemy will say, God doesn't care. This is no big deal. It'll be okay. Or it comes out that, well, God lied. God said not to do this. And I'm telling you that if you do this, you'll really be happy. This is going to bring relief. So Abram is in Egypt. I mean, pardon me, in Canaan in the land that God had sent him to, and there's a famine. So what's Abram going to do? And we tend to go, well, you know, sometimes I'm just in a place where nothing I do is going to be good, so I'll just choose the lesser of two evils. Well, keep in mind, it's still evil. And the Bible tells us that God provides a way of escape when we're tempted. And so we don't have to sin. We're not trapped into sin and yet, when we look at Abram's life, we can kind of see why he did what he did. But it caused him tremendous trouble. And um, 
Guys, you know this. I know everything worked out and Sarai is brought back and now they have more servants and more camels and more, you know, whatever. And, um, you know, everything's great, right? And they lived happily ever after. How long do you think it was before every time a, uh, one of those new servants given by Pharaoh came into the room that Sarai didn't look over at Abraham and give him, I don't think I have to describe this, you know it, the look. And how long was that kind of a problem and an embarrassment and a, a, a barrier in their relationship? You know, the enemy always says, oh, it'll be great, it'll be free, it'll be exactly what you need, but it, it never really works out that way. And so uh, the same thing happened when Eve and Adam were walking in the garden and they came across a serpent, and the serpent, the first thing he says, did God say that you can't eat from the trees? But the operative part is, did God say? He always brings us to question the truth of the Word of God. And we start saying, uh, well, I know it says this, but what about... And then we put up all of our scenarios. We all do that, right? And when are we going to get to the point where we just simply trust God and trust His Word and do it uh, with joy? So here we are living in a fallen world with sinful people. And so there are instructions in the Scripture and examples of how to handle conflict. And so after the debacle in Egypt, Abraham and Lot, they returned to the land that was promised by God, Canaan, uh, modern-day Israel, and they both prospered while they were there. And guess what? The prospering caused conflict. Now, we assume that wealth would uh, eliminate problems. Well, it does. It can eliminate some of them. I mean, when you've got Millions of dollars, you never worry about where you're going to live. You never worry about what you're going to do for fun. You never worry about what you're going to eat or what you're going to drive or anything like that. But it causes a lot of other problems. Uh, that's why so many people that are raised in poverty in the inner city and then they become professional athletes, uh, they go bankrupt very quickly. There's nobody that's going to tell them no. Why? Because if you tell him no, he'll be mad at you and he won't give you any money. And there's nothing off limits to them because whatever it is, they've got enough money to buy it, to do it, or to possess it. And so they get in trouble sometimes with drugs and alcohol and sexual promiscuity and all kinds of things like that. And uh, it's not pleasant. So sometimes it causes some problems, sometimes more than what it solves. And so that's what's happening with Abram and Lot. So are they going to really trust God and live and walk by faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God, Scripture tells us. So let's look at the story. Now in this, I'm going to make the point and then read the Scripture that it goes with, okay? So point number one is this. After, <coughs> pardon me. After Abram's failure, he returned. Let's give him credit for that. Gold star for that, Abram. You didn't run somewhere else. You didn't try to make it work in Egypt. You didn't try to negotiate with Pharaoh or anything like that. You went back to where you should have been all along. Now, the Bible says, then Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife, that's a good thing, and all that he had and lot with him to the south. Now, Abram was very rich in livestock and in silver and in gold 
And he went on his journey from the south as far as Bethel. Remember Bethel? House of God is what that means. To the place where uh, his tent had been at the beginning. Sometimes we have to go back to the beginning. Between Bethel and Ai, or Hai in Hebrew, to the place of the altar which he had made there at first. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. Okay, kudos to Abraham. Good job. Good job. Some Christians that I know, they want to move on with God, but they never want to go back and deal with things that are in their past or where they sinned or where they stepped out of bounds. When I would take my kids when they were little to play miniature golf, sometimes they had... Uh, they didn't understand the concept of wherever the ball goes out of bounds, that's where you put it back in on the green, okay? And sometimes there are things in our life we need to confess as sin and we need to go back and we need to repair. Maybe there's somebody you need to apologize to. Maybe there's something that you need to make right. Maybe there's something you really need to study the scripture to find out where you went out of bounds. And we just like to gloss it over and act like we can go 15 miles into the wilderness, and then the next step will be right back on the path where God wants us to be. Well, I guess that could happen, but a lot of times it doesn't. It's as far into the wilderness as it is back, or as far back as it was in. So if you're 15 miles in, you're probably going to have to walk 15 miles to get back to where you uh, stepped out of bounds, right? And so um, Abram seems to have learned a little bit of a lesson here, or maybe a lot of a lesson. This is really kind of a big deal as we get through the story. You're familiar with it. You heard about it in Sunday school when you were a kid. But let's remember before we move to point two, everyone fails from time to time. And as we learn and grow, we should have fewer times of failure. It's not that they're going to be gone. They ought to be less and less and less, and certainly not bigger and bigger. We ought to be growing wise. And it is in our failures that we see the greatness of our Savior. Now, not that we sin so that we can see the Lord more. I don't mean that. Paul said in Romans that where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. Shall we sin so that we may see grace? God forbid, he says in there. But at the same time, there are things that we learn about our merciful, loving, powerful God in the midst of our failure, that's why he allows it to happen. So it's in our failures that we see the greatness of our Savior. Think about what your life could have been and maybe even should have been. You may be uh, thinking about that and going, you know, if I got everything I deserved, I'd be in prison right now. But you're not. Praise God. God intervened. God kept you out of that. A uh, lot of other things that we could think about on that. And so we see the greatness and the mercy of our Savior. So the question is, when you fail, where do you turn? And some people go further into their failure, determine they're going to make this right, they're going to make this work, I know I ought not do this, but... And then they just continue on. Well, not Abram. He went back. Went back to the beginning, went back to where he had built an altar, and then he called on the name of the Lord, which is probably what he should have done before he ever went to Egypt. Can you say amen to that? Well, sometimes I think our amen ought to be an oh me because that's the way we are as well. So learn from that in point number one. Number two, let's consider this. Material wealth can cause strife. Have you ever been 
an executor of an estate. Have you ever had someone that thought they weren't getting their fair share of that estate? Boy, it can cause trouble in a family. A family that was harmonious and they found out old dad had more money than they thought. He had more, value, more valuable things than they thought. Uh, more sentimental things than they thought. It's easy to get your feelings hurt and to cause conflict over some things that just really don't matter. And so material wealth can cause strife. Somebody wins a lottery, now all of a sudden they've got relatives they've never heard of wanting loans and wanting money and things like that. And then you have uh, other people that go, well, you go ahead and do it. You can afford it. And the little digs that come out like that, and it's really nobody else's business, is it? Look at verse 5. Lot also, Lot also, who went with Abram, he had flocks and herds and tents. I think about that, and the reason I emphasize that, God said, I will bless those who bless you. Well, evidently, Lot was one who blessed Abram, and guess what? He was prospered as well. And it says in verse 6, Now the land was not able to support them that they might dwell together. For their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. Now that's mainly talking about agriculturally. Whether they're growing crops, there's just not enough space. Whether they're talking about pasture for all of their camels and their goats and whatever else they had, there's just not enough space. And sheep tend to eat the grass down to the roots. And so you've got to move them from pasture to pasture so that that grass can recover and grow back out. Because if the sheep stay on it, no grass will grow back. They'll eat it down to the roots. And so uh, all of this stuff is going on in this deserty, arid land where it's very difficult to find green pastures. You've got to go from place to place and move them along. Well... Up until this point, Abram and Lot and all of their servants and all of their flocks have kind of been mingled together. But now they're getting so big that they can't find enough grass and they can't find enough space to keep all of it together is what that means. Look at verse 7. And here's what happens. Their prosperity brought strife. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. I mean, they're each looking out for their master. They're each wanting to keep their job. I mean, Lot, if all of a sudden his sheep start dying because the herdsman is not getting them to green pasture and all of that, his job is in jeopardy, maybe even his life. And so you can understand they would contend for each other and for their masters. And the herdsman... Uh, did, well, it goes on to tell us here more than just the herdsmen were there. The Canaanites and the Perizzites then dwelt in the land. So we've got Abram, his flocks, Lot and his flocks, and then we've got Canaanites and Perizzites in the land. This is getting worse and worse and worse. And so there are trouble. So those three things that contributed to the strife. Abram's prosperity, that caused trouble. If Abram only had one goat, no problem. He's got a lot. Problem. Lot's prosperity, again, if he only had one or two and had a couple of pets, no problem. But he's got a lot, that's trouble. And the Canaanites being in the land, and they're going to look at this and say, hey, you're the stranger here. We're the ones who belong here, and we don't want to share. Now, we have to remember that water 
and pasture. That's a scarcity in that part of the world. And so a spirit of contention and jealousy and division arose among them. And so it's spreading and it's like poison and it gets worse and worse and worse and worse. Point number three. People who walk by faith can yield their personal rights. Can yield their personal rights. We're going to talk a little bit more about that in just a moment. But those of you who predate me being at Graceway, that ought to ring a bell with you, that thing about personal rights. And we're going to give you a reminder of it because it's so easy to think, well, I'll do that while Papa Sam is watching, but uh, he's not here and we don't hear that as much, so we don't have to do it. No, it's, if it's truth, it still needs to be done, and not because of him, but because of what God commands, right? Now, here's an example of that. And we uh, look down at verse um, 8, 8 through 13. So Abram said to Lot, Please, let there be no strife between you and me and between my herdsmen and your herdsmen. For we are brethren, we're relatives, in other words. Is not the whole land before you? Please, separate from me. And if you take the left, then I will go to the right. Or if you go to the right, then I will go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes. We're going to find out a little bit about Mr. Lot here. And saw all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as you go toward Zoar. Then Lot chose for himself all the plain of Jordan. He wanted the good stuff. And Lot journeyed east. And they separated from each other. And Abram dwelt in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelt in the cities of the plain, and pitched his tent even as far as Sodom. But the men of Sodom were exceedingly wicked and sinful against the Lord. Now, we know enough to know, oh, this ain't good. This is going to be trouble. Lot chose the best for himself. Now, Abram is the head of the family. Abram is older than Lot is. Abram is Lot's dad's brother. He's in the previous generational thing. Abram should have had first choice. Lot should have said to Abram, Oh no, Father Abram, you choose. The promise was given to you. The covenant was given to you. But notice here who is being selfless. Notice here who is being magnanimous in all of this. And it's not Lot. And when Lot looks at it, he doesn't say, Hey, you take the point where there's uh, the part where there's a lot of grass and water, and I'll make do with the other part. Not Lot. This tells you a lot about him. And the men of Sodom, where he is headed, where he is going to raise his family, where he is going to live, is exceedingly wicked. But that doesn't matter as long as he can make a profit. You know, a lot of people are like that. They don't really care when they see things coming. Well, I'm personally opposed to this, but, oh, if it's going to make me money and if it's going to give me more business, I'll just learn to live with it. Now, some things we can't do anything about, but some things we have choices in and we 
fail to realize that even the way we run our business, the way we live our lives, there's morality in that. And the blessing of God is more important than saving a couple of dollars or making a couple of dollars. But we don't always believe that because we don't really walk in faith. That's where Lot is. He's an example to us that we can fall into all of that easier than we think. So let's consider this out of these verses. Abram was the peacemaker and he made himself to be a servant to Lot. Wouldn't that solve a lot of conflict if we could just figure it out? But we don't. Well, we bow up and they're not going to do that to me again. And if they think I'm going to be mannerly and all of this, they've got another thing coming. So Abraham, not Lot, had the blessing. And he could have asserted his rights and done it very easily, by the way. And the two camps, they could have gone to war over all of this to a full-fledged battle in a fight. But Abram's faith made him generous. You know, that really is true. Generous people are people who have a lot of faith because they understand, I'm trusting God. I can afford to give this up. I can afford to lose this fight. I can afford to yield my rights. I can afford to be wronged because my faith is not in man anyway and not in this life and not in this world, but my faith is in God. Why is that so easy to say amen to and so hard to do? This is extremely practical, isn't it? First, uh, point number four. Abraham's, ah, I did it again. Abram's generosity reflects God's generosity. Can I let that sink in? What Abram could do is because God had been so generous to him. Abram is saying, I've got more land than I know what to do with, more land than I know what to use that God has given to me and to my descendants. So it's okay, take your part and let's separate so that we don't fight. The generosity of God. You know, whenever you give to the church, you know what you are saying in all of that? It's not that you have this thing, by law, I must give exactly 10% or God will make my children get deadly chicken pox or something. Some people live like that. They're scared. They give out of fear. God wants you to be able to look at your life and say, God has been so good to me, I'm going to be generous with God, with His people, with the church, with others with the family, whatever it may be, right? We want to be generous people. God is not telling us to give to Him because He needs our money. He's doing it because He wants to make us like Him, to be generous, to be giving. And so uh, verse 14 says, And the Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, Lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward and westward, for all the land which you see, I give to you and to your descendants forever. That's why you go to the land of Israel today and God is still blessing it. It's their land and it's their land forever. Verse 16, and I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth, so that if a man could number the dust of the earth, then your descendants also could be numbered. Arise, walk in the land, explore it, check it out, walk in the land through its length and through its width, for I give it to you. Now, who made out 
better in this situation. The generous person. And that is, as a general rule, the way that it works. The book of Proverbs talks about there's this person who is generous and lends and he prospers all the more. There's a person who holds on to all that he has. This is not health and wealth theology, by the way. It's not saying if I put $10 in the offering plate, then God owes me $100. we are not saying that. We're just simply saying there's a, as a general promise and rule and way of life, those who are generous with their money, those who are trusting God and not stingy with it, they do better than the other ones do. They have a happier life. They're blessed. And um, God tends to generously pour His blessings out on them. That's what happened with Abram. He gave it up and He gave it cheerfully. He wasn't mad. He wasn't upset. He didn't say, take whatever you want, Lot. And then when Lot did it, he goes, well, shoot, I can't believe he did that. that that's not the picture. You know how many times we... Uh, I remember... Um, there was a show that I watched where two people, two men were uh, eating lunch. And then when the check came, one said, oh, let me get that. Oh, no, let me. No, oh, no, let me. Oh, no, let me. Oh, no, let me. Okay, here. And he gave it. And then the guy who got the check, he goes, oh, one let me too many. Uh, isn't that the way we live? We want to portray ourselves as generous. And, oh, it doesn't matter, but yet it eats us alive. That's not Abram here. This is one of those cases where Abram's doing what's right. So let's think about this and think about that sermon that uh, Brother Sam would preach here every year. No personal rights. Abram was a slave of God and, his, and to his will. A slave to God and to his will is what I intended to say. And what matters is exactly that. He um, owned nothing and he could be generous then in everything, okay? So when you look at everything you have and you go, it's not my money, so I can give it away. God will take care of me. It's not my house, I can use it for his glory. It's not my car, I can use it for his glory. I don't have a right to anything. I cannot look at God and say, you owe me because he's given me far more than I ever deserve. And I don't have rights to anything and neither do you and that would solve a lot of conflict and that's what Abram did. Look at this, no personal praise. This is not really about Abram, but it's about the God who made and ruled over the land. Abram looks at all of this and, oh, Abram, you're such a great and generous guy. Abram would probably say to us, not really. Look what all I've gained in all of this. I don't deserve any praise in this. This is God working me. I could still be back in Ur of the Chaldees worshiping idols and not know any of this and not live according to any covenant, but God has blessed me. All the praise and all the glory goes to Him. But so many times we want to be noticed. We want to be praised. We want people to affirm us. We want people to brag on us. We want all that to happen. And sometimes we do things just for that and then wonder why God doesn't bless us. How about this? No personal limitation. Abram had the power and the resources and everything he needed to accomplish the Lord's will. God's not going to command you to do something and then not give you the ability to do it. It's a matter of whether you're going to trust him or not. Whether you're going to faith God or not 
or whether you're going to be trusting in yourself and your own resources and your circumstances and the culture around you that says, no, you can't, no, you can't, no, you can't. But when we look to heaven and we say, yes, I can because of my great God. No personal limitations. You can do anything that God wants you to do. And that's what Philippians tells us when it says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And when you read the verses above that, you can be hungry, you can be homeless, you can be shipwrecked, you can be all those things that Paul talked about because God will provide for you and take care of you and all of that. And then about the time we want to go, oh, look at everything, I gave up that well-watered plain over toward Sodom. Oh, I gave all that up, that used to be mine, but I let a lot had it. Oh, I have sacrificed so much for God. I want you to think about this. God owns everything. Therefore, Abram wasn't giving up anything or sacrificing anything. Why? Because he didn't own it. You know, it's amazing when you give away something that doesn't belong to you. You don't feel any real pain for all of that other than you might get in trouble for doing it later on. But if I had the ability <clears throat> to say, you've got a family member and they need $10,000. Are you going to give it to them? No, I can't spare $10,000. And if I had the ability to give you $10,000 in cash, what would you do? Well, probably you're a caring person. You would probably go and be excited and go, look, I have $10,000. Your problem is solved. Like the movie, It's a Wonderful Life. Except it was 8000 on that, right? And you know what? You wouldn't feel near as frustrated about giving away my $10,000 as you would giving away your $10,000, right? And the same thing is true with God. Whenever we give something and we want to brag on it and talk about what we sacrificed and gave up, well, if you understand that everything belongs to God and you don't have any right to it, going back to that first point, then you can be generous. And you can be happy in being generous and not resentful and not always bringing it up and not always holding it over someone else's head. After all, I've done for you. Don't you hate hearing that kind of stuff? Because sometimes you want to say to them, I wish you hadn't done it. But this isn't the case. Abram and Lot are able to solve this whole situation because Abraham walked by faith as he should have uh, when the famine came. And he's doing it now. So, conclusion. Those who yield their quote-unquote rights willingly and happily do so because of faith. They're trusting God. And those who have faith will worship regardless of their circumstances as Abram did. And then Abram moved his tent and went and dwelt by the terebinth trees of Mamre, which are in Hebron, and built an altar to the Lord. How many times do we hear that about Abram? And why is that? And why? what happened in his life? Because with some notable exceptions, like with Sarai, Abram lived what he believed and what his faith told him to. And he did it joyfully because he was a servant of God. And servants don't ever have to worry about being taken care of unless they have an abusive, awful, ugly master. But in Christ, we don't have that. We have someone who loves us, who pities us, 
who is sympathetic toward us, who is a good shepherd, who laid down his life for us, and the God who provides for all of our needs according to his riches in glory. So, no personal rights, no personal limitations, no personal praise, no personal sacrifice. Hey, live like that. Abram did, and you can as well. That's what the Lord's will is, so that all the glory and praise goes to him, and so that conflicts that could be so devastating, all of a sudden they vanish and they disappear. Well, I appreciate your time. Thank you so much for watching this. Thank you, teachers, for all that you do. God bless you as you do it. And those of you who are watching to keep up with your class, may the Lord bless you as well. We'll see you next week as we continue studying the life of Abraham.